Earth's fairest prospects, all are here installed. So, Prospect Garden, let its name be called. of Rereading the Stone. I am Kevin Wilson, joined as always by William Jones. Will, how's it going? Pretty good, yeah. This week, we're going to be looking at poetry in a big way. And we're going to be reading it, rereading it, you know, picking it apart and putting it back together. And uh, as always, I'm very excited to kind of dive headfirst into that. This is going to be great. My only uh, regret is that this week I have no libations to celebrate uh, this poetic endeavor. I, I ran out, and it's in the like the height of the pandemic, and I'm I'm wary of uh, signing for the alcohol in person, and so this is like the the all poetry episode, but I am. Uh, entirely sober <laughs> we're not really getting into the spirit of things sadly uh i mean at the time of recording it's the week before christmas um uh, and i wonder is it is it acceptable to have mulled wine with this um <laughs> with this i don't i don't know what that um, is but it sounds great you know like you get like red wine and you heat it up with spices and like sugar and you maybe put some brandy in there as well in german it's called like glühwein do you guys I, not have it in maybe the that's closer to what you know, in these texts, often what's translated as wine is more like a, uh, I think almost more like a beer or something. But maybe what you're uh, describing is also similar, kind of like a spiced, something spicy. I think this is... A spiced wine. Yeah, I think this this is basically because German wine was originally so bad it couldn't be drunk, <laughs> kind of neat, as it were. So it needed to be warmed and spiced oh, wow. and improved in various ways but maybe i'm unfairly uh smearing the good <laughs> name of german wine um okay i don't know yeah <laughs> interesting well well i guess at some point in the future we can get um we can each go out and get a bottle of a uh, real chinese rice wine and then sit and drink it while while reading poetry. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Chapter, perhaps. Or maybe we can re return to uh, our, our favorite poems by way of review. You know, after making more progress in the in the novel. I think it sounds like a great idea. So, shall we just do a recap on how we got to where we are now? Okay. Yeah. Um. So we are in chapter eighteen of 
the Dream of Red Chamber. Um, and in this chapter, you have the return of the character Jia Yuanchun, who is um, she is a a daughter of the the Jia clan, which is like a famous noble family in China at the time. She was chosen to be an imperial concubine some some time ago. Um, so she was elevated from being a mere kind of noblewoman to being essentially a, a kind of wife uh, of the emperor. Um, it's it's sort of funny. I, I guess the emperor would have a an actual wife, wife who would perhaps be kind of would hold the highest position, but then many many concubines who would have a kind of wife-like status. Uh, and so her kind of elevation to this position is um, a great personal sort of honor for her, but also a sign of favor for her whole family. Even though we get the impression that it's a rather lonely life that she lives, you know, she lives in a gilded cage, definitely. Um, anyway, um, the emperor's decreed that concubines should be allowed mm -hmm. to return to their families for a kind of imperial mm -hmm. visitation. And so all of the noble families who have daughters that are concubines of the emperor um, have been engaged in a kind of competitive process of, of building the kind of most uh, grand and extravagant uh, kind of new places to to receive these visits from their family members, I suppose. And the Jackland is no different. They've built this very grand garden full of, you know, intricate, clever little places and sort of delights of all kind, um, both natural and, and man-made. Um, and finally, in this chapter, uh, Yuan Chun, the, the concubine, returns, um, and everyone is very excited about it, and um, and they get news that she's coming on a particular day. So at 5 a.m., all of the most senior members of the family um, gather outside um, in their, like, finery, in, you know, in their fanciest clothes, and they wait there for several hours, and then eventually a rider comes from the Imperial Palace and says, oh, you're much too early. She won't be able to make it out until closer to this evening. So everyone, you know, packs up, goes back inside, presumably takes off all their fancy clothes, um, and they wait around until the evening when she finally does <laughs> arrive. She has a tour of the garden. There's a rather emotional reunion with all different members of the family. Um, but that the the natural quality of that emotion is is sort of stymied in some way by the uh rituals that she has to uphold uh as a member of the imperial palace and one of the things she decides to do with various of the women of the household but also with her her younger brother our kind of central figure Jia Bao Yu mm -hmm. is to ask all of them to write some poems to commemorate yes. the occasion of her yeah. visit. And for Bao Yu in particular, she tasks him with writing four poems to accompany her four favorite places in the garden. And so where we left off last time was um, everyone having gone off to write their poems. Uh, and then this in, this, uh, in this part, we're going to take a look at them, you know, see how good they are. Um, see how much of a talent the different characters have for writing poetry, and kind of pick apart some of the, some of the meaning, some of the, some of the imagery. Um, mm. Okay, yeah. I mean, this is a lot of fun. I enjoy the, uh, I guess the, the poetry chapters. 
even though there's this weird sort of imbalance where some chapters are pure action and you can kind of work through them pretty quickly and then some uh when you get the poetry it's always in this like bulk load it's like you ordered it from costco and it comes it comes (laughs) in like a huge uh you can't you can't rush it can you you know the poetry you get this great sense of it being significant within the story but also having been a lot of work to compose and so you feel like you can't just kind of skim over it and onto the next bit of action you need to stop and really kind of absorb it um it's worth pausing on the poetry for sure but um i mean at least the way we've been approaching it where we're trying to find the uh historical reference for a lot of these like a lot of this material it ends up being this almost this fractal like process where you have one poem which is referencing another usually uh, a Tang dynastic poem and you have to read that poem to appreciate the other the, the one that from before and it becomes this kind of this never-ending uh referential loop yeah they, they they are many of them so kind of erudite and intellectual that they will be making some kind of uh, reference or allusion to a poem which is 500 years old or 2,000 years old or, or anything kind of in between. Mm. Um, yeah. And, you know, from the perspective of a, f- a foreigner in particular, um, many of those kind of references may be kind of lost on us. Um, so, yeah, I think we both had to do a bit of, I suppose, kind of research of a sort. Yeah. Definitely digging around to, to try to understand a bit of those, um, a bit of the imagery. You know, it's it's easier than it used to be. Um, I often go on the uh, so if you go on C text, uh, an open access um, database of, of historical Chinese texts, they have a good version of the trend Tong Shir, the complete collection of Tong poetry. It's not actually complete, but it is a, a huge work. And if you search through that you'll usually find, um, if you search for specific characters, specific phrases, you can usually get a sense from, oh, maybe this, it's often a, like a, a Li Bai uh, reference. In this chapter, there's a few, uh, Bai Jui, um, there's a few, it's usually Tang poets, to be honest. Yeah, so, um, the, so the, 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 the Tang dynasty is, in many ways, a, it's, a, it's very much a high point of uh, Chinese poetry, in particular, the, the Shi form. Mm-hmm of poetry which is um has a great sense of kind of like parallel and rigid form so your most common forms of of sure poem are five characters per line or seven characters per line and then four lines or eight lines or or some kind of multiple thereof and because of that very constrained form you get and chinese as a language lends itself to this very well you get this very very terse language which um can lead to uh, like multiplicity of meanings you know so characters can be sometimes read as nouns verbs or adjectives um a- a- and because of this variety of different meanings and the, the juxtaposition mm-hmm. of the different characters you can read a single line in, in several different ways and i think that's often an intentional mm-hmm. choice on the part of the of the poet you know is to like they're, they're beautiful but they're also a kind of an intellectual exercise in a form of kind of mystery i don't know yeah yeah the, I, I like that a lot actually yeah it's kind of um grasping for the um unfathomable the ineffable uh yeah and i was kind of actually going off on twitter recently talking about how 
uh, like if you're a painter or if you are, you're a photographer, you know, there, there are certain things that you maybe shouldn't paint. <laughs> like if you try to paint like a sunset or you try to paint like uh, certain moments of the day, it's going to be very difficult to really render the scene. Uh, and so I, actually, I think language is good for, um, yeah. for representing the unrepresentable. Uh, and so I, I think that is a, a common, uh, like a, a subject matter of, of Tong poetry where you, you, you know, you're, you're describing, you know, this, a perfect silence or uh, a fleeting moment or a, an unspeakable longing, that kind of thing. But, but also with this chapter, we can really get a sense for, uh, I think, a little bit of the different um, uh, characters' personalities a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so the poets in this case are our protagonist, Jia Baoyu, his two cousins and love interests, uh, Xue Baochai and mm -hmm. Lin Daiyu, and then four other women of the of the Jia clan. Uh, so you have Yuan Chun, who is the the returning concubine here, and she is one of the the Chun sisters, as they call them. So it's four women in the household who each have the character Chun, meaning spring, uh, incorporated into their name. Uh, and so the other three are um, Ying Chun, Tan Chun, mm. and Xi Chun. Uh, and then finally there is um, Li Wan, who is um, the sister-in-law of Jia Baoyu, our main character. So it's his elder brother's wife. Um, the elder brother, uh, Jia Zhu, having, having already died before the start of the novel. So those are our poets for the day. Um, and as you say, through their poetry, we can we can glean something, you know, yes, sometimes yeah. more, sometimes less, about what their character is like. If only their poetic ability, uh, which is more socially significant in this in this time period and in, and in this social context, then perhaps uh, it might be uh, in our modern setting. Then again, you know, maybe certain, maybe maybe like among your friends, you're considered the most. Uh, you know, you you can uh, lay down the best rhymes, or there's certainly some parallels. <laughs> well, I mean, it is it's completely different circumstances, isn't it? But we did talk about it in the, previously. That I suppose the point I'm trying to make is that there is a social capital in some cultures. There's a social capital attached to being good at poetry. Um, so here, in you know Qing Dynasty China, being a talented poet brings with it a lot of kind of admiration and esteem from your peers um poetry conventionally as we think of it perhaps maybe less so but this isn't this isn't kind of always been the case if you think kind of 60 70 years ago yeah um the poet dylan thomas um he was a kind of superstar within certain fields anyway but i mean uh, he described i think he was originally from wales but he described visiting the united states um yeah saying that yeah the way that he was greeted was um uh, yeah as a kind of rock star as a, as a kind of super celebrity um likewise bob dylan oh absolutely uh, yeah and i mean he chose his name uh in reference to dylan thomas no yeah um and so you know if you're if your lyrics if your lyrics are poetic enough you know it doesn't matter how bad you are at singing yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um all right all right well look let's um Let's 
dive into the poems, shall we? Okay, yeah. Yeah, round one. <laughs> round one. So so I think first up we have um one of the Chun sisters, Ying Chun. Okay. Um shall we look at hers first? Yes. So when they've been set this this assignment, as it were, um Yuan Chun has told them just kind of write whatever you like. Don't worry too much about it, you know, I I'm I just would like everyone to have a try and see. And I think Ying Chun is probably a good example of someone with not that great a poetic ability. Yeah. You know, these are kind of ordered from worst uh, to best, I think. Right? So maybe this might be the worst one. <laughs> it feels unkind to say that because, I mean, I think that my Chinese poetic abilities, I mean, this far exceeds any ability I have, I suppose. But, but, um, but yeah, let's, let's go through it. I mean, do you want to read the, the Hawks first? Yes. Okay, so uh, the Hawks, uh, and so this is Kuangxing Yiqing, which in the Hawks is rendered heart's ease. Um, the garden finished. All its prospects please. Bidden to write. I name this spot heart's ease. Who would have thought on earth such scenes to find as here refresh the heart? And ease the mind. So, so I mean, I, I think the the Hawks translation is pretty good. Um, yeah, it's it's straightforward though, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I I wouldn't necessarily have translated things in exactly the same way that he did. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the title, right? Kuang Xing Yi Xing. So Kuang Xing being kind of vast, yeah. like broad, right? And uh, easing being kind of happiness, happy mm -hmm. feelings. Yeah, I would say maybe like um, like like Kuang would be like fast, but also maybe like loose in this context. That's what that's maybe where he's getting this um, like ease. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe the happiness here is a kind of contentedness rather than an excited happiness. Yes, I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, an easy pleasure, kind of a um, a lighthearted. Mm, which I, I also think is reflected in the approach to the the poem. Uh, the the references are more um, muted, I think. There's also simply a reference to you know the fact that uh, she considers herself a uh, a lesser poet, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. There's a. I mean, the second line is um, in the Hawks. He simply says, "Bidden to write." I name this spot Heart Seas, but it's more like explicit in the Chinese that she I guess considers her own abilities not she uses this character Xiao right which means kind of ashamed or um abashed abashed yeah it's it's a feeling of inferiority definitely um so the so I mean the Chinese is um feng ming xiao ti kuang yi um so feng ming means to to order, or in this case, to be ordered under orders, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, xiao being the kind of uh, abashed, um, ti uh, means to to come up with the 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 name for the place, yeah, and kuang uh, yi as we um, discussed before is a, a kind of abbreviation of this this heart's ease or yeah. contentedness feeling. Right, two characters from the four character um, title. Yeah, so she's she's saying you know. 
because I have been told to, um, I have come up with the name uh, Heartsease for this place. But, you know, I'm really no good at poetry. I'm, I'm just, you know, the, it built into her poem is a, is a, like a self-deprecation. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, there's a few images that we've seen before, right? Like uh, she says, you know, such such scenes to find. I guess what Hawks is rendering there as scenes would be uh, uh, Jing, uh, which we've seen before in uh, Taishu Huan Jing. It's the same Jing. So yeah, the name of the 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 land of illusion from from chapter five. This kind of like imaginary fairyland so we're going to see a lot of um sort of celestial references that i think uh refer partly back to the uh the um the great void fantasy land uh, of chapter five um but also speak to the um the difference between the people and you know the the quote-unquote celestial ruler um another image i liked here was um uh, Xianzi. So that's what that's what um, Hawks has as, I guess, ease the mind, which is, is sort of a loose translation. I I wish sometimes Hawks had been a little more, a little closer in the translations. You really lose a lot of the the references, even though he does do a really good job of maintaining the the rhythm, um, and and feel of the poetry, um, and and so and so Xianzi. Uh, would be like more literally something like spirit wandering. Yeah, it has kind of a like a Taoist um, connotation for me. Um, like it's like letting your mind travel. Uh, it's also similar to the. Uh, that's kind of the idea of what happens in dreams. That you know, um, one conception of dreams is that your your body remains, but your um, your soul or your spirit is free to. To wander uh, the universe and other universes potentially, right? Um, and so that kind of speaks to the dreamlike, uh, but also idyllic quality of this um, scene being commemorated. So it's a it's a simple enough little poem, I think. Um, there is there's some kind yeah, of mild yeah. allusions to kind of grander things, but but it's a simple enough it's a simple enough little piece. The the next one is uh, um, Tan Chun's poem, um, which Hawks translates as brightness and grace. So I'll read it. Um, water on hills and hills on waters smile, more bright and graceful than the immortal isle. Midst odorous herbs, the singer's green fan hides, her crimson skirt through falling petals glides. A radiant jewel to the world is shown, a fairy princess from her tower come down. And since her steps the garden's walks have trod, no mortal foot must desecrate its sod. Okay. Uh, now we're cooking with gas, right? Um, so, uh, I know you, you were saying before that the, you think the poems are arranged kind of from worst to best. Uh, and generally I agree, but I actually think that this one is quite good. I think that this is maybe the third best poem. Oh, uh, okay. In my view, um, yeah, maybe it's it's better than she. She tunes is also kind of a bit lacking. That's in the next one. So, mm -hmm. yeah, 
so the the some of the imagery is is a bit obvious uh or or you know a bit tired so so what hawks translates in the second line as the immortal isle is um peng lai which is a a kind of mythical place in in chinese mythology um so this is something that comes from um a book that we've mentioned briefly before the the classic of mountains and seas the shanghai jing uh and it's supposed to exist somewhere uh east of china over the yellow sea um but it yeah it's a mythical fairyland place i don't think it's really supposed to exist in 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 reality mm-hmm. but the line is feng liu wen cai sheng peng lai so that sheng means to to ex- to surpass or exceed so whatever feng liu wen cai is it surpasses peng lai and mm-hmm. the the feng liu wen cai i think means kind of something like grace and refinement here hawk says bright and graceful um and that's the kind of sense basically that the, what she's saying is that the 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 garden um is kind of yet more wonderful than this we might say yeah more than the garden of eden even which i think is a nice image but it is ah, it's not a particularly original one where i think it gets yeah where i think it gets quite good is lines 3 and 4 um where there is this melding of the natural and the human worlds um into into one um the the two lines are um lu cai ge shan mi fang cao uh so that means uh lu is green cai is cut uh ge shan is the word for a fan here um and then mi fang cao is to be lost among the the kind of fragrant grasses the fragrant flowers so i mean a kind of literal one is something like beguiled by fragrant grasses among cut greens and beating fans um and then the second line is um hong chen xiang qun wu luo mei so that's uh red skirts it's kind of like red skirts dancing among the falling plum blossom broadly is what that that line kind of means um but the idea in each case is that um an observer mistakes the one for the other so in the first line they mistake the fans the beating fans which are which are green essentially so your your green fan you mistake for kind of leaves swaying in the wind for example and your red skirts you mistake for falling plum blossom um or you mistake falling plum blossom for red skirts and and vice versa. So so is the sense in these two lines of mm-hmm. this being a kind of illusory and slightly mystifying I guess um natural world. And and again as we mentioned before this is a reference back to um an earlier poem um by the poet Wu Weiye um who uses a kind of similar image. So, sort of building upon that uh you know, I, I also liked uh, some of these images, right? So, like, uh, Feng Liu, it, it could be treated, like, literally as um, being, you know, distinguished and, and talented in, uh, like, literary arts. But it also has the image of the wind and, and the flowing with the wind, right? Which you can imagine flowing through the garden. Likewise, Wen Cai has, you know, it means literally something like um, literary ability. 
but it also has when as in as in kind of like writing as in um embellishment engraving and, and size literally something like color and so you can see like the colors of the garden are reflecting the uh the colors of um aesthetic accomplishment you know it's kind of, it's a nice little image uh and so and we do see some of these images from before right the uh the green dresses i guess the question of the lutai shan i think the idea but what i'm kind of imagining is that the uh the shan the fan itself is made from the same kind of green material that you would see uh like dresses being made of and, and, and it's a gushan because it's probably being used to uh like buy a singing uh a dancer yeah yeah so so just to explain that yeah the, those two characters there gua means as you say a song or or singing and shan is the actual word for the fan so it's a it's a song fan exactly you would right. as you say it would be used by perhaps a performer in some kind of music that's perhaps. a really nice image a lot of really um kind of wonderful kind of things going on there and actually in the next line there's the image of of pearls and jades but that this you can also has a double meaning of again um like a, a like excellent writing literary talent um, ah i see and so you have this double this double evaluation exactly that there's a lot of uh duality of meaning but but i feel like a lot of what it's getting at is kind of um flattery or at least um praise of yuan chun herself so so in the sixth line when it says in the hawks a fairy princess from her tower come down i think this strongly suggests that the fairy princess is yuan chun herself so the garden is this great jewel and she a fairy princess has has come down to visit them um mm -hmm. yes yeah yeah what luck yeah I guess she has descended her jade uh, platform, right? Because the idea is that the, the, the jade hallway is, again, this, like, metonymical form uh, referring to, like, an imperial palace, an imperial um, location, right? And so she's just descending this almost mystical uh, jade terrace or jade platform, right? Is that how you read it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was... And I also wanted to just... The, the very last thing I want to say about this poem was that the last line, um, the question of, like, well, who's allowed? Not not just anyone is allowed into this, this sacred space that we've created for uh, in, inviting um, the imperial concubine. Because in certain poems... There's this idea that like oh, we have a space it's being shared for all, and in other poems like though this is a very restrictive space this is a um, special reserved zone and there seems to be this active contradiction between whether this is a public or a very private space. Yeah, and we'll um, see. I think in the next chapter um, after Yuan Chun leaves, initially I think nobody goes back into the garden except maybe for servants to keep things kind of keep things running there uh i think they they actually have to get uh yuan chun's express permission to go in it when she's not there um okay yeah so so that i think yeah there's a, this very kind of weird uh sense of it being sealed off to 
um, mm -hmm. all but a kind of chosen group. While simultaneously representing, you know, like the whole universe. And so I, I got, that is kind of the, uh, the contradiction, the contrast, uh, the tension. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. How about the next one? This one is uh, Wen Zhang Zhao Hua in, in the Chinese. This is Shi Tun's poem. And in the Hawks translation, it's rendered Art the Creator. Art the Creator. The garden's landscape far and wide outspreads. High in the clouds, its buildings raise their heads. Serene in moonlight, radiant in the sun, great nature's handiwork has been outdone. Uh, <laughs> this one's a little um, more straightforward. Yeah, I, I, in my notes, I've put <laughs> this was the easiest one to translate. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the maybe that's the in implication that uh, uh, Tantrun is maybe Yuantrun is the number one Tron in terms of poetic ability, but but uh, Tantrun is maybe second, uh, or even maybe first. But Shi Tuan is definitely not. She's okay. she's no great talent, I would say. Um, I I mean it's not uh, you know it, it's it's by no means a a kind of bad poem, but it's it's just straightforward, you know. And it it feels that way from the from the hawks, you know. Um, the imagery is straightforward and um, it doesn't feel terribly yeah. complex. Um, and the message is quite straightforward, which is to say, praise the garden in four separate lines. And just talk about how wonderful it is. The end. Um, um, I was going to say that in the title, uh, Wen Zhang, is very is kind of similar to Wen Tai from from the previous title. So instead of literary talent, it's like literary essay. But it's it's kind of the same idea because because Wen Zhang could also refer to just literary works as such. Yeah, simply, yeah. I, it's again a metonymical, I think. You're right. It, I think it could literally mean an essay, but really I thought of it as something like a masterwork. Uh -huh. You know, magnum opus, something like that. Whereas uh, Zhao Hua, I guess that could mean, um, I, I guess it's just nature. So like literary nature, or but it's also the idea of creation as being, you know, like um, the space is the f font of literary creation. Something like that, right? Yeah, uh, you're right. It could be nature. It could be, um, but I feel like it could also be the creator themselves. And so this is a kind of masterwork right. of the creator. Um, right. And so that's why that's why Hawks has it. Art the creator. Uh, yeah. I think he's playing with the kind of the connection between art and artifice, right? Yes. Um, which also appears, I think, in the. That's a kind of um, that sort of linguistic shift. I think is, is also appears in the Chinese language, right? Um, uh, Zhao Hua can also mean good fortune, so it's kind of the same idea where you know the heavens have uh, uh, shown favorably upon this spot, kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> is there any imagery in there that you would like to pick out to highlight? Well, you know, I I have to mention the 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 five clouds, the Wu Yun, uh, which is 
potentially there's some Ushang action happening there, uh, imp- if implicitly. Do you mind if I just read the line? So Hawk says, high in the clouds, its buildings raise their heads. Uh, it's Lotai, Gaoqi, Wu Yuan Zhong. So the Lotai is the, the tower, basically. Gaoqi is to, to rise up high. And then Wu Yuan Zhong is among the five clouds. Yeah. So tell us about this Wu Yuan, five clouds. This can refer to... Uh, this actually is, is similar to the other expression we've seen a few times, Tai uh, Sha, the uh, kind of the, the rosy red clouds of sunset, actually, uh, where you, you have this beautiful, you know, the, the, basically like the 10 minute stretch of period when the, the, uh, the sunset is at its uh, most brilliant, I guess. Um, and actually, I, I've been going through, I found a really old, it's reference to Uyun in, uh, in his work, Wen Shu Jinjing. And so it's his early Taoist work, maybe a forgery. Uh, and apparently, uh, some uh, diviners would actually use the Taisha, the Uyun, for uh, prognostication. And so I kind of went off on a, based on this poem, I went off on a little tangent. So, so you can you can kind of read the tea leaves, but with the the way that the the sunset plays on the clouds. Yeah, I mean, why not, right? Anything that's awesome and brilliant, I say prognosticate away it's no less a symbol from the natural world than uh an earthquake or volcanic eruption or or anything really you know yeah yeah and if anything it's cooler i think <laughs> I, I mean i've been thinking a lot about how in, in a sense there's probably not been even a single civilization it's possible that like every civilization has in one way or another appreciated sunsets uh, maybe not in the same way, you know, maybe the sunsets don't look the same a thousand years ago due to pollution concerns, maybe, I don't know, but, uh, I think it's kind of a cool, you can kind of use that against your, um, overly postmodern, particular, particularistic, you know, you, you'll never, uh, understand me kind of, um, rhetoric that, that's kind of popular nowadays. Like, well, I can, you know, look, if you appreciate sunsets, and I appreciate sunsets. You know, that's that's something. It's got to be something. So I've been, I've been thinking about that. Uh, kind of a, uh, a a more innocuous kind of trans-historical form. This um, this line about the the Wu Yuan, the five five clouds, or or rather, it's kind of like the five, almost like five colored clouds, um, um, is apparently also a, a reference to a. Uh, an earlier poem, um, again by the Tang Dynasty poet Bai Juyi. Um, oh right, right, right. So that that poem uh, says, um, "Lo ge ling long wu yun qi." So that's the uh, "lo ge" is like a a building, a tower. So in this in this poem, it's "lo tai" rather than "lo ge," but it's very similar meaning. Uh, ling long means kind of very finely wrought or crafted. Um, and then Wu Yunti is kind of rising into the the five the five clouds. Um, but then, interestingly enough, this goes on to say in the second line of the Bai Juyi poem, "Qi Zhong, Qi Zhong Chuo Yue Duo Xian Zi." So uh, among them, so among the 
the the clouds up in heaven. Uh, Chuoyue is kind of graceful and beautiful. Duoxianzi uh, is many kind of gods or nymphs or spirits, that sort of thing. Um, so this is there's a tower, a beautifully crafted tower, rising up into the the sunset clouds, and up there among them are many beautiful uh, nymph spirits. You know, I was looking at that poem earlier, uh, like a couple of days ago, and I was hoping to find it while you were speaking. But there's a lot of, there's at least 140 references to Uyun in the uh, the, the Trentang Shi. Um, the the poem the poem is apparently called Chang Hun Ge, so like long. Oh right, right, right. Li, Chang like long Hun is literally to hate, but kind of here it's like more like parting, I think, or right, sadness. Right, right. And go song. Oh, that reminds me then, because I, I did find that one, and I wanted to compare that actually to oh, I I have it here in my notes. <laughs> uh, to actually, do you remember in uh, in chapter five, one of the poems there was entitled Hen Wu Chang, and I was wondering actually whether that's also a reference to this uh, Bai Jui poem, which is about. So that poem is about. It's it's a really long poem. Retelling the, the kind of the, the love story between, uh, you know, uh, Tang Xuanzong and uh, Yang Guifei, and so I, I wonder if that like it'd be interesting to see in what ways that um, yeah. that story might um, intersect with our own, even another kind of another great beauty, another kind of uh, a tragic, a tragic loss, and so yeah. I'll, What's the story with Yang Guifei? Um, she's a she's an imperial concubine as well, right? Right. Uh, she's probably she, um, one of the most famous imperial concubines. I think, I think from the Tang from the Tang Dynasty. Right. She's one of the four the four beauties of uh, of ancient China, and uh, I, my understanding is the Anlushan Rebellion was partly blamed on her and her family, and consequently she was she was put to death. Yeah, the 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 An An Lushan rebellion being um, one of the most bloody civil conflicts in in Chinese history, or and I think indeed in world history. Um, it's what Peter, uh, it's what Stephen Pinker uses to claim that our modern world is less violent. This is one of his key statistics because if you I you see. take this this event and you like adjust for population. Uh, I, I'm not entirely convinced by that argument. I, I, I think no. my my quite my understanding is the you know the the official numbers are probably somewhat exaggerated because it's you know they didn't do like a census, a proper census, because it was just going back to this poem. Something worth noting in the the later lines. So Hawks translates it: serene in moonlight, radiant in the sun. The Chinese is yuan xiu ri yue guang hui li. So it's kind of yeah the the garden is bathed in the brilliance or or shimmers with the brilliance of the sun and the moon um and this is obviously literally this is kind of literally true but it's uh the sun and the moon is also uh, an allusion to the the emperor or to the imperial palace um so it's a you know expressing gratitude that the emperor's favor has um has fallen upon their upon their family and, and that they're they're in the good books. Um, mm, nice. In a, a couple of chapters ago, 
um, in the chapter where uh, Qin Keqing dies, you remember there is a a scene where she appears in a dream to right, right. Uh, Wang Xifeng. So these are these are both uh, important young women of the Jia clan, um, albeit in different branches of the family. Um, and the one appears to the other in a dream just shortly before she dies, and she says that yeah, this great. Exactly honor is going to be bestowed upon the family but it's going to be as brief as a flare-up of fire in like oil spilled in a pan kind of thing you know when i see this image of the kind of shimmering sunlight shining upon the garden uh it makes me think back to that you know there is this bright sun shining upon them but soon enough it will disappear behind a cloud right so maybe that's the consequence of uh of stealing you know the uh, so the uh like the stealing a bit of um of heaven's uh grandeur it almost gives it a, a kind of a promethean vibe to it yeah that's really interesting right. so they've stolen fire from heaven right. um so gonna... and in in, re in return they're going to have their liver pecked out every day by a vulture <laughs> <laughs> in, in metaphorical terms uh <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So you know, after kind of working through this poem patiently, I, I'm starting to really like it. Um, yeah, it's it's a good one. It's a good one. So maybe uh, I, I, I mean, it's it's very simple, but it doesn't mean that it's uh, kind of not worth anything. Should we look at the next poem? So this one is by uh, Li Wan, who we mentioned is the the widow of Jia Zhu, who is the older brother of uh, Jia Baoyu, our central character. And she, we know, is a kind of, she's the sort of ideal Confucian widow, you know. Her husband having died, she has no desires of her own, sexual or otherwise. And she is kind of meek and really only interested in, in I guess, pleasing others, I suppose, uh, or maybe that's unfair, but that's certainly the impression I get. Do we think maybe that's the name, the the implication of her name, uh, Li Wan? Is it the other? Cause the Wan means like white or white silk. Is that maybe? Oh yeah, quite possibly right. So white. I'm not, I'm not sure. Is that indicating mourning? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. White, white being the color of mourning. Or abs you know, abstention from the colors of life, maybe. Right. We saw that during uh, Chinga Ching's funeral, right? Of course. Yeah. All right, so her poem is uh, All Things Bright and Beautiful in, in the Hawks translation. The finished garden is a wondrous sight. Unlettered and unskilled, I blush to write. Its marvels are not in one phrase expressed. Yet bright and beautiful, I judge the best. So uh, I don't know if you um, had this as well, but I couldn't help when I read the title. I couldn't help but think back to... Um, there's a, there's a hymn of the same name. <laughs> I feel bad kind of like injecting any sort of Christian meaning into a specifically Chinese text, but the the words "all things bright and beautiful" are the the first line of a very common Christian hymn. Uh, so so that somehow coloured my my view of it, and I had to try and kind of hmm. push that to one side and ignore. Uh, you know, yeah, this poem I, I would say made less of an impression on me. Um, this one I thought was a good parallel with the first poem we looked at, um, Yingchun, mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, the same modesty. Yeah, and there's exactly there's the same modesty. There's some similar sort of imagery. Um, so I mean, looking at the title, it's um, Wan Xiang Zhong Hui, right? So it's um, uh, ten thousand splendors or many kind of splendors right. competing in brilliance, basically. So uh, a myriad um, splendor. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and again, in the second line, it's it's a very near parallel to the one above. Um, so, it's in the Chinese, Feng Ming Duo Tan, Xue Qian Wei. Yeah, it's the same. Like I've been ordered to uh, compose poetry, so don't against me. I'm acting against my will. Kind of implication, I think. Yeah. So. Uh, so I mean, Feng Ming, as we mentioned before, is to be to be ordered, decreed to do something. Duo uh, Tan is kind of very ashamed, very abashed, um, and Xue Qianwei is to say, my my learning is very shallow. It's very, it's mm -hmm. you know, I'm yeah. my kind of erudition or 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 intellect is 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 kind of negligible. It's, not even really worth mentioning sort of thing so so she's doing a kind of disclaimer at the start saying you know just as a warning i am really crap at poetry but <laughs> do you think th does she get points off for uh for rhyming way with way <laughs> is that looked down upon is that like uh, oh yeah i think i think so i think, think uh that? you know <laughs> is that kind of the, the joke i think maybe? yeah the 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 first and second lines both end in way don't they um different characters but still um <laughs> i don't know it's the same tone even she's describing i guess in the first line how the 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 garden is kind of uh towering and, and lofty i suppose magnificent right and by contrast her her own her own learning and talent is so mediocre yeah it, it is a nice contrast it's it, yeah it's a, it's a i mean the idea I she's think. she's fulfilled her her oh. bidden duty um it's fine um, it's a fine poem <laughs> it's interesting to me because uh, we discussed briefly before how the 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 sure poem form uh is commonly four lines or eight lines um and here there are six poems three of them are written with four lines and three of them are written with eight lines and in my view the eight line poems are much better than the four line poems and so that's maybe a reflection of their poets you know their writers having something more to say being able to fill eight lines because they have that bit more kind of talent or or, or artistic sensibility yeah and the the longer poems are uh, replete with literary reference, whereas I, I think this one is, you know, fairly straightforward. So, do you want to do the next one, maybe? Yeah, let's do. Yeah, so we're on to the the last two uh, of the of the poems by the the women of the household, and these yes. two are undoubtedly the best two. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we have Xue Baochai first. Okay, so this one, so in the original, it is uh, Ninghui Zhongrei, which Hawks has translated as, so this is Xue Baochai's poem, as 
auspicious skies. So, west of imperial walls, the garden lies. The sun beams on it from auspicious skies. Its willows orioles from the vale invite. Tall bamboos tempt the phoenix to alight. Poetic arts this night must celebrate. Filial affection dressed in robes of state. Dare I, who have those jeweled phrases read, add more to what she has already said? So, okay. So it's following the kind of uh, self-deprecating theme very much, right? Okay, yeah, a little bit, right? Yeah. But this time it's maybe a little bit less uh, sincere, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Here, she is doing it for effect rather than because she sincerely believes her talents to be kind of substandard. Yeah. So so Hawks translates the title as Auspicious Skies, right? Yes. Um, and I think that kind of captures the spirit of it. But I think it's worth just looking at the Chinese quickly. Yeah. So the four characters are um, Ning, Hui, Zhong, Rei, right? So... Um, Ning is to kind of concentrate, bring together. Um, Hui is sunlight. Um, Zhong is again to gather together. And Rei is kind of favorable omens. So it's kind of concentrated sunlight and um, gathered together favorable omens. Right. It's a very clumsy translation, yeah. but you get the sense of it. But uh, Hui here, as well as literally meaning sunlight, is as we mentioned before, it's a kind of, um, it refers to the emperor's favor. Yes. You know? So if the emperor is yeah. the sun, then sunlight is a show of favor from mm -hmm. the emperor. Um, mm. So yeah, it's this feeling of good luck and <laughs> good fortune kind of brought together uh, in the symbol of the sunlight shining upon them. So yeah, the metaphors are very consistent, I think, between poems, at least so far. Um, so the first two lines are straightforward enough. You know, it's the the garden is built to the west of the imperial city. So meaning that you know it's kind of facing east towards the the imperial palace, but also in the direction of the sun. So it's this kind of twinning of the the sun and the emperor together. Um, and then the second line in the hawks, he says, the sun beams on it from auspicious skies. Um, but actually, it's it's more it's sun and clouds together in the um, in the uh, Chinese original. Yeah, I I wonder if it might be similar to the the Uyun, uh metaphor, where if so, if the sun sets in the west, it's like only in the evening does the um, does the imperial like. Uh, favor arrive in this western region right and that would maybe ex explain these um so the auspicious clouds might again be the and the five the five colored clouds of sunset maybe yeah yeah so so it's it's maybe. um um so the chinese is <clears throat> um hua ri xiang yun long zhao qi so hua ri means like sun here so you know the emperor hua means uh 
it kind of means like you know glorious magnificent flourishing that sort of thing mm. um so it's kind of a, a glorious sunshine i suppose and then xiangyun as you touched on is kind of uh auspicious clouds right Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Long yeah. Zhao Qi is the sense of them being enveloped in this. Yes. Um, yeah, exactly. And so I'm imagining, yeah, a kind of wandering wisps of clouds coming through the garden and almost a kind of corona of sunlight shining through. So you're not being shone upon, you. the sunbeam is not hitting you directly, but there's a kind of sunniness shining through the clouds so the clouds are kind of lit up with sunlight yeah it has to be refracted or it it can't even it's too strong to be uh uh experienced directly kind of thing yeah um yeah absolutely and so the next two lines kind of continue with it's a new metaphor but it's the same uh kind of up and down sort of dynamic so um what I mean by that is, so Hawks has it as, it's Willow's Orioles from the Vale Invite. Um, and so the, the Gaulio, the tall willow trees, that's kind of this, this, this high space, this lofty, uh, prestigious space. And then um, the, this image of the Vale, the, I guess it would be Gu, literally like a valley but the, the idea of it being like kind of a secluded hidden valley so that's where the um so the oriole is coming up from this veil to uh it's attracted to the this magnificent willow tree um and that's to be contrasted with the next image where it is um a phoenix coming down um from on high so the next the next line is Tall bamboos tempt the phoenix to alight. Uh, so we know the phoenix already. That goes back to the the sun metaphor. So the you know a phoenix is literally like a a fiery bird. It's a bird that's you know uh, associated with the sun, right? I think the tall the tall bamboo. I was originally thinking it might be you know like Yuan Chun herself. So it's it's a kind of like a, a double metaphor, where the phoenix is the emperor coming to feast on the bamboo, which there is this tradition of bamboo being the food of phoenixes. Um, maybe the phoenix is Yuan Chun and the, you know, the, the tall bamboo is just, you know, some kind of nourishing, like food of youth almost, you know, she's returning to. Well, I mean, I, uh, I have a very straightforward interpretation of this and maybe it's too straightforward, which is that these two lines both refer to the garden uh, and the bird in each case, the oriole, or this ying in one case, and the, the phoenix in the second line, are both um, yuan chun. So the idea being that the tall willows, these high willows and tall bamboos, refer to the garden itself. And in each case, they are beckoning the the oriole or the, the phoenix embodied in yuan chun to, to come visit Um and so there, this is a place where she can only visit, she can't stay, but, you know, they want to kind of nourish, nourish her while she is there, you know, but, but I don't know, I think that that is, it's a kind of rather straightforward interpretation, and maybe too much so. 
and you know it, it might be uh open to interpretation right there, there there might be uh like kind of a history of disagreement over who or whom to associate with what right the, the fact that you can have my thing is that okay so previously we had um one of the there's mentioned one of the spots along the way Bao Yu named one of the spots you feng lai yi and and so in in that poem the the uh feng phoenix is definitely i think um yuan chun right and she's a phoenix only now that she uh has this imperial status that's why it's a little bit you know cuz you have male phoenixes you have female female phoenixes although i guess the feng is it the idea that the feng is the female phoenix and the huang is the yeah? Male so phoenix? there's the feng sense Wong. of so yo feng uh, lai yi is the the phoenix come to come to kind of dance. It does go back to also something just earlier from this this chapter. So so when Yuan Chun is talking to her her father uh, Jia Zheng, uh, and they're talking to each other in this hugely kind of formal ceremonial way, uh, he he talks about her being a, a phoenix from amidst a flock of crows, you know, she's, she, whereas the rest of them are very kind of ordinary birds, she is a, she's a special one. And so I still like the idea of, um, the tall trees being, uh, because we have the, the, the height of the trees being associated with social position. Uh, so I, I like the idea that she, in a sense, you know, as a youth, she was an oriole and then she went to the the uh the tall willow trees and she like magically became a phoenix and as a phoenix she returned to her uh her place of um youth to um now in this new capacity to feast on the bamboo okay so in the bottom four lines of the poem what kind of things did you want to uh look at here uh, we see some similar uh, but different vocabulary, right? We have Wen Feng, which uh, Hawks has rendered poetics art, poetic arts, uh, which is similar to Wen Zhang and to Wen Cai from before. And also Feng Liu. And also Feng Liu, yeah. right? It's, it's this like web of... Uh, yeah, this, th there's lots of similar words used involving uh, culture and the literary arts and kind of grace and talent and erudition i suppose and they're all kind of referring back and forth to one another um actually references guixing which is like the official term for what she's doing so she's you know to, to guixing is to return home to pay respects to your parents again there is this sense of um you know em embarrassment or modesty um from shui Chai, chai's poem um, you know, in in the last two lines, she says, in the Chinese, Rei Zhao Qian Cai Zhan Yang Chu Zi Chan He Gan Zai Wei Ci. So, uh, Rei Zhao Qian Cai is um, you know, a way of describing great talents, I suppose. Like um, uh, in the Hawks, it's jeweled phrases, but you know, yeah, it's exactly that. It's 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 kind of like godlike talent, something like that. And then Zhanyang, uh, Zhanyang Chu is like here to to gaze upon, to look upon. 
uh, with sort of awe and awe and wonder and reverence. So she's saying, you know, having looked upon the couple of poems that Yuan Chun herself has written, which I think we touched on last week, um, um, and then she goes on to say, "Zizan He Gan Zai Wei Ci." So Zizan is like my, I myself feel uh, abashed, ashamed, that sort of thing. Hergan is how could I dare, Zaiwei to write poems myself? So, you know, having looked upon what she has done, how could I, you know, even try to compare myself to her? Even try to kind of live up to her her sort of standards. So the next poem is the last of the this this group here, um, and this is uh, Lin Daiyu's poem. Uh, so she is, as we mentioned, she's uh, our main character, Jabayu's cousin, and one of his love interests. And we probably know more about her than many other characters at this point. We know she's rather clever, rather brilliant, but also yeah. quite sort of mercurial, right? She She's unpredictable, she's easily offended, um, mm-hmm. and she can lose her temper um, very easily. Um, and she, yeah, yeah, she's the real hero of the story. Uh, that's, my, that's my interpretation. I think that's a, uh, I think it's a good one. Um, tell me, tell me why. <laughs> why do you think she's the hero? Well, you know, I, I mean, like Bao Yu is a sympathetic character, but he sort of. One argument would be, you know, he, he's so he, he's highly privileged. You know, he's in the kind of the the driver's seat. Uh, and so his like, he's the most generous character, but his generosity is when it, when generosity comes from this um, place of you know security and you know almost like repose, it, it means a lot less, I think. And so, by contrast, uh, Dayu is in this like very kind of unstable social position very self-conscious but like having a reason to be self-conscious uh and so i would argue that gives her character a kind of a depth that uh that Yu, who kind of comes off as a almost like a a little bit plotting at times kind of divorced from reality uh, and so inexperienced and so yeah i would say Yu is in a more kind of uh, a more liminal position and so that that liminality lends itself toward um kind of a dynamic character uh that's that's my argument which is kind of a a change from what i earlier i had kind of um i'd question you know is dayu like a real character or is she purely like a space for uh like fantasy or even male fantasy projection and i guess i've come i've come around a little bit and now I think she's like the most real character, uh, and and Bao Yu is sort of a, maybe a reflection of her. Yeah, she has she uh, has she of... occupies this privileged privileged position in a way, you know, being in the kind of inner circle of this wealthy noble family, right? But she, her mother is dead, and her father has recently died, right? And so she has no kind of direct family, and as a woman in China at the time, her, you know, her path, I suppose, to future security would be through 
marriage, right? Um, not being of independent means herself. And having failing health, but also um, uh, exceptional talent. Another contrast, another sort of um, a source for kind of um, her character's motion. All right, so shall we look at her poem? Um, this one in the Hawke's translation is called The Fairy Stream. So, Lin Daiyu, The Fairy Stream. To fairy haunts far from the world's annoy, a royal visit brings a double joy. A thousand borrowed beauties here combined, in this new setting, new enchantment find. Its odour sweet, a poet's wine enrich. Its flowers, a queenly visitor bewitch. May she and we this favour hope to gain, that oft times she may pass this way again. Okay, great. Drawing again uh, from the title on <clears throat> the idea of the this kind of fairy fairy world, you know, a fantasy world separate from our own, right? Yeah, yeah. Again, the the Taishu Huanjing of, of chapter five. Yeah, and the garden itself, which is a real place that exists in the world, somehow also being a mystical space that exists outside of it. Um, and so this is really clear in the second line of the of the Chinese. It's Xianjing bie Hongchen. Xianjing being the the world, the kind of fairy spirit world. Bie um, here meaning separate from, and Hongchen meaning red dust, which we've talked about many times. It's yes, <laughs> the red dust is is the material world. It's the world of human beings and material mm -hmm. concerns and all of that kind of thing. Right. And so, it's a Buddhist imagery. Yeah. yeah, and so this this world itself is apart from that entirely. Mm -hmm. Distinct from, yeah, or distinguished in a sense. Um, there's, there's quite a good couplet, um, or, or, or rather, lines three and four go together quite well, I think. Um, uh, where Hawkes mentions this, he says, a thousand borrowed beauties, and the, the Chinese is jie de shan chuan xiu, so borrowed jie de. Shan Chuan Xiao. It's the the elegance of mountains and streams, or mountains and rivers. Um, this, I guess, is true in a literal sense. In that, in constructing this artificial garden, they've borrowed natural elements and brought them together in one place. Um, right. But also, I guess, it's kind of implied that the poems themselves have drawn inspiration, so kind of borrowed um, from the natural world. And th this kind of has a, a, a precedent of its own. So, again, mm -hmm. Tang poets. Uh, there's a Tang poet called uh, Zhang Yue, who I think was a fairly indifferent poet for quite a long time. Although he had a very um, excellent career as a government official. And then he spent some time in a place called Yuezhou, which is in what's now uh, Hunan province. I think it's now called Yueyang. Um, so kind of southern central China, um, which is a land of kind of rather spectacular um, mountain and river scenery. And it's said that his poetry improved significantly after that time, having been inspired by the, the, the scenery of the place. Um, so there's this, there's okay. this kind of double sense. Um, yeah, that's nice.
so should we talk about the next line maybe as well um where we have again there's the emphasis on um the fragrant fragrant wines but also the the fragrant flowers i think is, is the idea it reminds me a little bit again of chinka ching's bedroom and and also the dream scene where you have the essence of all flowers the perfume uh and, and also the the matching couplet on uh chinka ching's uh wall the painting in her her room right this this one about the the wintry buds the the kind of the the spring flower buds are are trapped in a wintry dream and you mistake the smell of uh, alcohol for the smell of those flowers right mm -hmm. right um there's a reference here to um these these smells these fragrances uh wrong like blending maybe merging uh being in harmony with uh the the jingujo um and so this is another kind of um literary reference do you want to explain jingujo uh yeah absolutely so i mean it's literally golden crop wine basically um mm -hmm. the 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 allusion as far as i understand it is to a poem by li bai who's one yes, of the yeah. great tang poets uh which is about um writing poets uh, sorry writing poems together with friends and whoever fails to come up with something on a given topic um has to pay a forfeit uh which is normally drinking a, a cup of wine right so the the mm -hmm. line is ru shi bu cheng so if poem not complete uh, uh -huh. or unsuccessful maybe yeah, yeah. um fa yi jin gu jiu shu so right the the punishment is drinking um a cup or indeed several cups of several cups of wine yeah. um and i guess the, the name of this poem is chun ye yan tao li yuan which means which means what exactly i guess like spring night like a, a spring night feast in the uh peach and plum garden that's a, that's a really like impromptu translation i, I don't know what uh, i'm sure this poem has been translated but i didn't find the translation uh, in preparation i think i think a, i think a literal translation is often best right. though, you know for 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 explanatory purposes um anyway. but it's again the emphasis is again on a, a sort of a flower and fruit garden uh where poems are being composed and uh fragrant wine fragrant uh, grain wine is being consumed uh, which is very much in the, in the spirit of a lot of Levi's poetry right yeah and so the suggestion here is that their little party to commemorate Yuan Chun's return to the family is uh, reminiscent of or indeed a kind of continuation of this this grand tradition of of the great poets of old you know they're recreating although, the same right although maybe there is a little bit of you wonder if um, I, I at least I wondered here if uh, Dayu was manifesting a little bit of uh, playfulness. It seems this reference is not exactly as formal and upright as something that would that 
Lao Chai would um, would conjure up, right? It seems a little bit more fun, a little bit more uh, loose. Yeah, and maybe not befitting uh, an imperial visit, right? <laughs> maybe, a, yeah, exactly. Maybe a little bit, uh, yeah, a little bit, uh, I want to say, I, I don't, I don't want to say rebellious per se, but mm, mischievous maybe? Yeah, mischievous, exactly. So that's kind of interesting, I think. I had some other sort of um, like wilder theories that I wanted to run by you, but I don't, I'm not sure if I believe them or not. Sure, sure let's see. So let's the try. very next line is, uh, Hua Mei Yu Tang Ren, uh, which Hawks has rendered, its flowers a queenly visitor bewitch. Although I, I wonder, I almost thought, <laughs> kind of in the spirit of, you know, like if you're a, a great poet, maybe you might reference yourself uh, sort of indirectly in the poem. And so when I when I when I thought of Hua Mei, I was thinking like well, she you know like Dai Yu herself is associated with flowers with Hua. Um, Mei here means to flatter, but I was kind of thinking um, you could also think of not not Mei uh, fourth tone but Mei second tone as an eyebrow, uh, and, and we've already associated uh, Yu with the frown, you know the the full face frown. Or you kind of uh, furrow your brows, uh, and, and then the and then the 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 you of Yu Tongren is you know part of the next uh, part of the sentence, but like the way it's there, it's like well, like you is also Dai Yu. So I was wondering if she was like kind of um, when Bach would you know write certain pieces and he would uh, inscribe his name into the uh, into the melody. I was kind of wondering if something like that was happening here. Uh, no, I think that's a fascinating theory. It didn't uh, it didn't appear to me at all. I I read this very very straight. So I read Hua Mei Yu Tang Ren to be essentially it's just a line in praise of Yu Tang Ren being the the jade hall person in this case Yuan Chun, right? But right. but it's a really interesting point actually because Hua as you said flowers yeah. associated with Yuan Chun. Yu obviously being one of the characters from her name um and Mei um, yeah, may being flattery, but possibly a hom homophone of may, like um, as you said, the 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 kind of eyebrows, right? Um, um, and even if you want to really jump the shark, the the very last character in the poem is Pin, and so here it means just uh, what, what Hawks has as again frequently, frequently, yeah. right? But uh, again, homophonous with that is Pin Pin, which is the the nickname, the the name that yeah that uh that Bao Yu gave her in chapter three. And so I, I was kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know, hallucinating things with this poem. But I'd be curious to see whether there's any tradition of... Um, I mean, she is a very, uh, yeah. as you said, mischievous character. She's intelligent, but she has a rebellious streak. And mm -hmm. it's completely consonant in my mind with her character to um, take an exercise like this, which is... A, you know, uh, has a certain formality or ceremony attached to it, and to surreptitiously kind of play with it or, or twist it slightly. Uh, and she, of all the characters, would be the one most likely to do that. So yeah, if you're yeah, if you're doing like a poetry battle, you have to mention your own name in the poetry so people know. Uh, oh yeah, where to find your your material.
material. You have to say your name when the yeah. You have to say your name when the music stops, right? And drop the you know your your SoundCloud. <laughs> 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 you know.